I'm of the age where I'm not sure if I'm considered old, but I feel like it, and I know I'm getting close. And if someone asks, well, how old do you have to be to be considered old, I'll say, just a little bit older than me, I think, is where we're at. Like, just maybe just a little bit older. Um, but we would love to have you just, really, we just want to have people stay connected. I was visiting, right before Christmas, I went to visit my parents. They were spending a couple of months in, in Clearwater, Florida. Um, and that, I believe, is the prime timers capital of America, right there. <laughs> and they were staying in this condominium complex, this huge place that was all a 55 and up crowd. And so uh, they were showing me around, and they showed me the rec center and all the all the classes and line dancing classes they are taking. And then they have the pickleball courts. And they said, oh yeah, there's people that take the pickleball very seriously. That might be the pickleball capital of America as well. But I texted Christy and I said, man, we are, I'm six years away before we can move in here. And this place is sweet. And I said, and we will, we will dominate the pickleball court when we show up. Um, we're glad you're with us today. Um, we are going to be in week two of a series. We started the series last week and really creatively titled A Relationship with God, this idea that our faith is not just a, a list of things that we do, not just a thing to check off the list and go to church and try to do all the Christian-y things that maybe you've heard someone describe their faith like this. It's not religion, it's a relationship. And some of you would think, well, that sounds good. I have no idea what that means. And uh, so we wanted to talk about that. We're going to talk about this over the next couple of weeks. I encourage you, if you want to invite a friend or just someone who maybe is new to this and would like to just kind of look what it means to have a relationship with God or have communication with God, to be able to hear what God is speaking to you. Um, a lot of you have, have talked to me or have, I've heard from other people like this idea of hearing from God. Like they hear other Christians say it, like, well, God told me this and I felt like God led me here. And people are like, how do you do that? That's what we're talking about. We want to get to this point where we recognize this is a relationship with God, um, and part of a, a big part of a, any relationship is communicating, speaking, listening, hearing. Um, and in a relationship with God, it's learning to recognize when God is speaking to you and responding and obeying. And this is the core of what it means to have a relationship with God, like any, any relationship is communication. So I want to talk a little bit about that today, that we know that God is close to us. If you were here last week, and you're here today, that means you were here for two weeks in a row, and right away you're like on the path to church greatness. Two weeks in a row is awesome. Um, but last week we talked about two big churchy words talking about the nature of God, and one was transcendence, and the other one was, anyone remember? Imminence. Some of you were here, yes, last week. Transcendent and imminent, that God is transcendent and God is imminent. Transcendent means that he's big, he's separate, He's the creator. He's not one of us. Um, he made everything. He's eternal. He's outside of time and space. We read a, a passage of scripture that talked about how the Lord looks way down just so that he can see the heavens and the earth. Big, separate. His ways are higher than us. Now, a lot of people would recognize that. Even people that don't have a relationship with God would say, well, I believe in God but I just think he's way out there and really has nothing to do with my life or certainly not interested in what is going on in my life. But he's also imminent, and imminent speaks to the closeness of God, that he's not just separate looking down from the heavens. He is close. Emmanuel, God came to be with us. He wants to speak to you. He wants to know you. He wants you to know him. He wants you to 
have this relationship where you feel his presence, the very closeness of God. Those two words just so beautifully sum up the characteristic of our God, big and powerful and strong and separate and eternal and all-powerful and all-knowing, and yet wants to be so close. And when we spend some time praying like we did this morning or spend some time worshiping, it's just we're not worshiping the idea of a God. We're worshiping the God that we sense his presence close to us. This is who God is. And so this God, this close God that wants this relationship with you, he wants to speak to you. So I need you to, guide, you to understand that today. He wants to speak to you and that this is not something that's just reserved for the super Christians. It's not just reserved for the heroes of the Bible and we're going to read about one of them today where we say, well, God spoke to those people or maybe God speaks to the people today who are the super Christians, the best of the Christians, Mother Teresa or Tim Tebow or all the super Christians <laughs> of the world, right? God wants to speak to you today. God wants to speak to you. This is something for the normal people. Because when you look through the heroes of the Old Testament, they were normal people. And when you look through some of the people that you see as like great Christian leaders in our world, they're normal people. And I'll just tell you this, Pastor Christie and I, there are times when we are very normal people, very boring people just trying to hear from the Lord. This is not something that you are excluded from. You have to get that God wants to speak to you, youngest to oldest. And young people, I would love it if you would start to recognize that and foster that ability and willingness to listen to the voice of the Lord and allow him to direct you and guide you. So we're going to be in the book of 1 Kings chapter 17 today. We're going to look at the story of Elijah. Now, some of the parts of the story of Elijah, if you've been around church, you know some of the big stories, the big victories. We're going to read through three different chapters, 17, 18, and 19. And there's so much here. The story of Elijah, there's like, this is a whole sermon series in and of itself. So we're going to skip over a few things and skim over a few things. But we are talking about the story of Elijah. And now this happened right as the kingdom of Israel divided. Um, and we spoke about this a few weeks ago when we were talking about the rebuilding of Jerusalem, how... During the reign of King Solomon was when the nation of Israel was at the height of military power and wealth and prosperity and victory. Everything was just going great. And that's when Solomon built the big temple. It was just this great season for the nation of Israel as appearances would go. But there was also idolatry that Solomon was bringing into the nation of Israel. And because of his wickedness and the nation's wickedness, God separated the kingdom from Solomon and the kingdom divided into the north and the south. Now I say that to say this, that this story of Elijah happens right after that. So right after the kingdom divides, northern kingdom, southern kingdom, the north is ruled by King Ahab. King Ahab is a wicked king uh, worshiping the false gods. The nation is worshiping false gods. There's idolatry everywhere. And this is where we see Elijah first get called by God to go and speak to the king on behalf of the Lord. And so really, back then, you know, in the Old Testament, it was a prophet that would hear from God. So it kind of, that's why we kind of think like, oh, God only speaks to the super Christians. That's not what this was. Elijah was just a normal person that God called and said, I want you to go and speak to the king. And so that's where we pick up the story in 1 Kings chapter 17. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. And, and spoiler alert, at the end of the service, I'm going to assign some homework. Um, yeah, just so that if you've been here two weeks in a row, you won't be back for the third week in a row. Um, 
First Kings 17, 18, and 19, I would love to have you read these chapters, three chapters, great stories, and throughout the week, and just kind of reflect on what God might be speaking to you through these stories. But First Kings chapter 17, I am going to start in verse 1 through 7. It says this, Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe, that's fun to say, and Gilead said to Ahab the king. Now when you, I let's pause there, sorry, I'm not going very fast, but um, when you hear names and places, a lot of times it's not just so that the preacher can have a hard time pronouncing them correctly. It's for you to recognize, okay, real person, real place, not a mythical thing, but this happened to this individual in this place. Um, Elijah said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Verse 2, and the word of the Lord came to him. Okay, so this is what we're talking about today. God is speaking to Elijah. And the word of the Lord came to him after he talked to the king. Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Cherith, that is east of the Jordan. Again, an actual place that God directed him. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. We're going to pause there. Lots going on there. So God calls Elijah and says, go speak to the king who is worshiping idols and leading the nation into idolatry and tell him because of this unrighteousness, God is going to, it's not going to rain for three years, over three years, and there's going to be a great drought. And right after that, God says, okay, now go over here and settle here, and there's a brook there that you're going to get water from, and the ravens, the birds, are going to bring you food so that you have something to eat. So much going on there. I love that it's not just, God speaking to his people is not just the big things, like go and confront the king and tell him that he's being wicked. It's also, now go over here, because you're going to settle here and I'm going to provide for you here and just wait for what I have you to do. A very specific, strategic thing that Elijah is listening to and obeying. And so he goes, leaves the king, because after you confront the king, you better get out of there because typically that means you are done for if anyone ever stood up to the king. So Elijah is leaving. God is directing him for his safety. And uh, he goes to this brook and he, he's fed by the ravens. Now that's a cool thing, right? I mean, that's a actual thing that happened. If you've ever stepped out in faith, Christy and I have been through seasons where we believe that God was calling us to take a step of faith and change careers and do something completely different. The only problem was, and we kept reminding God of this, how are we going to pay the bills, right? And if you've ever heard someone talk about that season where God's going to provide, often they'll say something like, well, we believe that God's going to, we're going to be fed by the ravens. And that's where this comes from that saying comes from but it for us it wasn't actual birds that would have been cool but it was people who would show up with money that they had said god told us to give this to you actually god told us six months ago and we've just been putting it off and now we remember today and it was the exact day that we just needed that like that step of faith where you know man when we learn to hear the voice of god and respond in obedience we can trust that he is going to come through Imagine seeing the sitting there by the brook, having a drink of water, and thinking, I'm getting a little hungry. Oh, 
Here come the birds with my dinner. Like, that's amazing. And when you see God do that, you're like, wow, he can be trusted. It's just that faith-building moment. But then what happens in verse 7, it says, and after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. So that's a key moment. It's like I read that, and it just jumps out where I even have a, a note in my Bible here where sometimes a changing circumstance is God's way of preparing you for what's next. If it gets really comfortable here by the brook and with the ravens, it's, it, it might be harder for Elijah to do what's next. But that moment, it's like where God is saying, okay, now I'm going to change this circumstance and I'm going to prepare you to go to what is next. And that brook drying up probably was a moment where Elijah was thinking, hey, God, you said you were going to provide. Hey, remember me. This source of life for me, this fresh water is now gone. And because of a drought, and Elijah's probably thinking, I, I'm the one who prophesied that you wanted to bring the drought, and now I'm reaping the, the, the consequences of this. In those moments where there is a change, something like that where you're like, I don't know how God's going to work now. That's often God preparing you for what's next. But you always have to recognize that God is there. God is in that moment, that confusion of why is this source of water now dried up? God, how are you going to provide for me? God is still there. God can still be trusted. He has another way that he's going to provide for you. He hasn't forgotten about you. You can still rest in peace. These are significant faith-building moments for Elijah. And go on to verse 8 and 9. Then the word of the Lord said to him, Arise and go to Zarephath, again, another specific place that he's supposed to go, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. We're going to stop there. So after the brook dries up, God speaks to Elijah and says, okay, we're, it's time to move. Another season of transition, something different. But I've already talked to somebody else about providing for you. So it was ravens and the brook, but now it's going to be this woman in this village where you're going to go. And I've commanded her to provide for you. It's this moment of just recognizing God speaking and being willing to trust him with the next step. God, you led me here. This season was great. You provided that season ended, now you're leading me here. We don't need to fear transition or change or even times where it feels like circumstances are difficult. God is at work. God is moving in those difficult circumstances. And look at all the practical things that God is doing. He's directing Elijah to go to this other place and he's speaking to a widow who is going to help provide food for Elijah. So God's not just speaking to Elijah, right? God's speaking to this other widow. God is not just speaking to you about where to go. He's speaking to other people about you who can be a blessing to you. God is speaking to you about other people so that you can go be a blessing to other people. You see how in the, the transcendent view of the world that God has, he's able to just orchestrate things and move in circumstances. And we don't understand how he works, but we can fully believe that he is at work in every circumstance. God is orchestrating things, and he is more than capable and he is speaking to others about you so that when you talk to them, they are going to be able to be a blessing to you. And he's doing vice versa, that you could be a blessing to other people. Students, God might speak something to your heart about something in your, somebody in your school so that you can prepare to go be a blessing to them. And God is speaking to other students in that school. They can be a blessing to you. This is how God works. Verse 10, I'm going to continue on. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And when he called to her, bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. 
And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand, because God had said, I'm speaking to this widow, she's going to give you food. And she said, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Like that's like Elijah had to be thinking, whoa, this isn't going as I expected, right? <laughs> God spoke to me to go here and that this widow was going to provide for me. Gets there and says, hey, give me some food. And she says, yeah, I don't have any food. I have this tiny little bit of flour and oil left because there's no food because there's a drought. And Elijah's probably thinking, I'm partly to blame for that, I guess. And, and, and so Elijah's got to be thinking, okay, well, God, you said this widow was going to provide for me. But yet she has nothing to provide. And she says, I'm about to go in, make the last meal of everything I have, and prepare it for me and my son, and then we're going to starve to death. And Elijah said to her in verse 13, do not fear, go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me, and afterwards make something for yourself and your son. That's a bold thing to say, <laughs> right? After the widows just said, I got like this little bit left, Elijah said, why don't you give that to me and trust that God's going to provide? That's a bold move, right? But you see how God is not just speaking to Elijah and building his faith. He's putting this woman in a position where she can trust God and listen to the voice of God and say, okay, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to give away what I have and trust that he's going to provide. Verse 13, and Elijah said, oh, I already read that. Make a little cake, bring it to me for you and your son. Verse 14, for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty. Until the day the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said. And she and he and her household ate for many days. And the jar of flour was not spent. Neither did the jug of oil become empty. According to the word of the Lord he spoke by Elijah. That's amazing, right? That's an amazing, another example where Elijah's just like, oh man. I'm trusting that God, I'm speaking to the king and then God's directing me here and birds are bringing me food and then he's directing me here and instead of birds bringing food, it's just a jar of oil and a jug of flour that just never gets empty. They just keep making stuff and it's full, right? And that continues all the way until the drought was over, which we'll get to in a minute. I, what a step of faith for that woman in that moment. The end of her rope, out of money and food, the last meal, and then there's this guy who shows up and says, give it to me and God's going to provide. That is a step of faith, but this is how God works. He's not just speaking to Elijah. He's speaking to this widow saying, you can trust me. You also can trust me. These are normal people that are just hearing from God and responding in obedience. And then Elijah's being used to bring about a miracle to this lady. And it's just I just love imagining the faith that is building in these people as they see God provide. And I love that it ended, what we just read there, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke through Elijah. God's word can be trusted. When he speaks something to your life, it can be trusted. He does not fail. Well, the stakes get higher from here. Soon after this, after they're enjoying this season where they have food miraculously, the widow's son gets very sick and he dies. And the widow as we all would, questions everything and is mad at Elijah. Why did you come here just to remind me of my sin and cause the death of my son? It's this mentality that some people have, like something tragic has happened to me and therefore it's my fault because of my sin and God is somehow punishing me. 
This is not what was happening here. And if someone's ever told you that, side note, that the reason these bad things are happening to you is because sin is in your life, I apologize for whoever said that to you. God is not looking for someone to mess up and then say, well, I'm going to make that person sick because that's not how God works. Our God is the God of love and encouraging us and walking alongside of us. This woman is mad that her son has died, obviously. And Elijah prays to God and God heals her son and the son comes back to life. You see this growing relationship again. Elijah has to be thinking, wow, this is getting more and more amazing. It's birds and it's miraculous jugs of oil and now people are being raised from the dead all because he is learning more and more just how to trust God and be obedient and to hear the voice of God and to say well if you say it I'm going to believe that it can be done this continues to go on and, and it's how God is orchestrating circumstances it's all part of that relationship that is available for you and I to have now it culminates with Elijah going back to the king now if you've been involved in church, maybe grew up, grew up in Sunday school, you heard the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal. And that happens in chapter 18, the next chapter, where God speaks to Elijah again and says, okay, now go here, go from here, go back to the king who's looking for you, trying to kill you, and confront him. And so that's what happens in chapter 18. And it, it's the showdown between the prophets of Baal, all the prophets that were worshiping the false god Baal, and Elijah... Who's the, who is a prophet of the God of Israel, and they decide we're going to find out who's the real God. So they put a sacrifice on the altar. They kill an animal and put it on the altar. Each of them have one, and then it's decided. Whoever, whoever's God comes down and consumes the offering with fire, that's the real God. And so the prophets of Baal go first, and they're, they got their altar, and they're dancing around, and they're shouting, and they're cutting themselves, and they're doing all the things that they're supposed to do in order to get their God to respond. And nothing happens. And as I was studying it this week in my study Bible, there's a spot for notes. And I had written this down years ago. And uh, what it was written in there was, man, it's a sad day when you find out the God you've been living for doesn't show up. Right. right? The God that you have been pouring everything into, the thing, you know, whatever the idol is in your world right now, this chemical or money or this relationship or the thing that you're like, I am investing everything in this. And then when it comes time to need that God to show up, there's no response. And you realize, I've been worshiping a false God for a long time. And these prophets of Baal are like, I'm not sure what's happening, why our God isn't responding. And I love that Elijah sees that and starts to poke fun a little bit. If you know the story and read it, it's great, where Elijah starts trash talking. This might be the beginning of trash talking in the, in the history of man. It's like, well, maybe your God's asleep. Maybe he went out of town. Maybe he's relieving himself. You know, all these things. Like, he's, a, he's literally poking fun at these guys who are dancing around trying to get their God's attention. And I believe that because Elijah had seen the ravens, had seen the jug of oil, had seen the, the sun rise from the dead, he's probably with a little more confidence like, God's going to show up, right? Because of what I've seen. And so he prays to God. After the prophets of Baal, all day and all night, they've been praying and nothing happens. And Elijah says, God, would you reveal yourself? And I love that he says, not so that I can look good, not so that people can say, wow, Elijah's a cool, special person, but so that they would just know that you're the one true God, yeah. that, that, that they would know that you are the God. And fire comes down and consumes the, the offering. It's this great moment. And and there's this huge spiritual revival and awakening in the nation of Israel. And the prophets of Baal are chased down and they're killed. And then as soon after that, the rain comes because they have turned back to God. 
This moment has caused a spiritual renewal and the whole nation is saved because the drought is over. So it's this big victorious moment. And if you are making a movie about Elijah, that's where you would end the story. Roll credits, moving music, it's awesome, great story. But that's not where the story ends. Even after that big significant spiritual moment and the nation is saved and it rains and the drought is over, what happens then is that King Ahab's wife, Jezebel, vows revenge. And Elijah begins to fear for his life because King's wife is trying to find him and kill him. And so Elijah goes into hiding, which takes us to chapter 19. And in chapter 19, Elijah has a total breakdown, total emotional, physical, spiritual breakdown. He is at the bottom of the barrel. He's hiding, and he prays to God. And when he prays to God, after seeing all of these things, it's amazing how times where we go through a great spiritual victory, how it's so often followed up with just a time of despair or weariness, or maybe it's just the adrenaline rush of all he had been through that he just comes crashing down. He's in a cave. He's praying to God and saying, I don't know. I can keep going. I'm all alone. I'm the only one. Everyone else has deserted me, and now I'm trying to stand up for you, and now the queen and the king are chasing me down and trying to take my life. And he even says, God, it would be better if I was not here, so why don't you just kill me now and take me to heaven? This is Elijah at the, he is at the end of his rope. He is done. So I say that to remind you of what I said earlier on in this message, that this relationship with God that Elijah had, he's just a normal person. We can relate to Elijah's breakdown, right? We've never been, and maybe we've never been in a moment where we've seen the big, huge, miraculous thing or God's raised somebody from the dead or healed the sick or whatever it was, but we can relate to Elijah here of just feeling like, I can't go on. I can't keep doing this, God. Um, I'm, and just the up and the down and feeling like, God, you were with me, but now it's just this other difficult thing. And after a while, you're just done. This is a real person who is at the bottom. And I gotta tell you, of all the people that we look in the Bible and see, well, these are the great heroes of faith, David and Moses and Abraham and the Apostle Paul and Isaiah and Elijah, as we're reading about all these great heroes of faith, are all regular people that were flawed and they had their moments of defeat. They were real flawed people. I mean, just the, you know, the story of all of those people. It's just like real people. They are not considered heroes of the faith because of some personal greatness that God saw and said, wow, they're the best of the best, so I'm going to speak to them. They are great heroes of the faith because they were normal people who simply learned how to hear the voice of God and respond in faith and obedience. And God continued to use them. And even when they messed up and tripped up and all the names I just mentioned had moments of defeat. The Apostle Paul spent the first part of his life killing Christians. David had a great sin with Bathsheba. Moses refused to listen to what God said because I can't do what you asked me to do. I don't even speak in good sentences, God. How are you going to use me? All these reasons why people would say, well, they should have been disqualified. And yet God just says, yeah, you're a normal person. Just keep moving. Keep listening. Keep responding. And even when you mess up, you're not disqualified and you're not starting over again you just keep moving forward this is the voice of the lord for your life today learn to hear the voice of god and respond and just keep moving elijah's having his breakdown in in chapter 19 and an angel appears to him and encourages him and i love that the encouragement we're going to skip over this part but the encouragement of the angel is very practical the angel comes and says elijah 
I'm going to need you to eat something and then take a nap, right? Sometimes that's a very spiritual thing, right? Some of us, the next three hours is going to be that very thing. I'm going to eat something and I'm going to take a nap, and that's spiritual, okay? So you can tell anybody, like, this is the word of the Lord for my life right now. Um, I love that it's a very practical, physical thing. It's like, a, it's, you know, we re recognize that with a crabby kid sometime, right? Like, I'm going to need you to eat something and take a nap. And sometimes that heals all the ills, right? There's many times where Christy looks at me and says, Jeff, you need to eat something and take a nap. And then maybe your little pity party will be over. Um, this is what's happening to Elijah. But then in verse 9 of chapter 19, Elijah hears from God again. The whole theme of this is every time the Lord spoke to Elijah, it was a strategic thing or a healing thing or an inspirational thing or whatever it was. And this is what happens in verse 9 of chapter 19. There he came to a cave and lodged in it, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant and thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And he said, and the Lord said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. I love that. The stillness of a whisper. And that's where God was. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in the cloak and went out there and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold... There came a voice to him. God was speaking to him again. He said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah continued on from there to say, same thing again. I'm all alone. I'm fighting this. I'm trying to be faithful to you. And everything keeps happening. And now they're trying to kill me. He's like, I just can't go on. God begins to encourage him again. But I love that it wasn't in the wind. It wasn't. There's times where God's going to speak in the big moments. There's times where God speaks through the earth, wind, and fire. Right? <laughs> took me a while to realize maybe that's where the name of the band came from. Now, God does sometimes speak through earth, wind, and fire, right? right. On, a, on a drive down the highway, that's good stuff. That's a good jam right there. But in this moment, God is speaking not in these big, epic moments, but just in that moment of quietness where I think it's symbolic of how God wants to speak to you in the stillness sometimes, where we need to get away from the, the noise and just all the big, epic things and expecting God to do this. It's just fostering a regular relationship where you're just in quietness, and God speaks. And God speaks in that moment to Elijah, encouragement. He reminds Elijah, you're not alone. You're not the only one still faithful. There are 7,000 faithful people in Israel who have never bowed down to a false god. You're not alone, and you're going to go here, and you're going to, and, and so God really is speaking very strategic encouragement, like you're going to get up, and we're going to go here, and you're going to anoint this person to lead this, and, and then you're going to go here and talk to this person, and then this is going to happen, and you're going to move forward. I love that God's word of encouragement was just strategic, like go talk to this person and do these, and you're not alone. It's encouragement and guidance and peace and assurance that God speaks to people in their lowest moment. The loving care of our God over your life, amen, that wants to give you guidance. And this all stems from a relationship that you have with God, hearing him speak through prayer, through the word of God, listening for his voice and his guidance, and then just simply responding in obedience. 
And you never know what God is going to do. But he will always be faithful. And this is for normal people. The normal people like me and you. Elijah was a normal person and we see that. I love that in the book of James in the New Testament, James was the brother of Jesus. And he is writing this letter to Jewish believers who have turned to faith in Jesus Christ. And, um, and James is encouraging them to pray the prayer of faith and to listen to God. He's encouraging them all the things we've been talking about today. Have a relationship with God. It's not just following the rules anymore, but it's inviting him in and inviting the Holy Spirit and having this relationship in your life. And then he refers to Elijah. And I want to read these verses, uh, verse 16 through 18 of James chapter 5. Can we put that up there? This next slide. This is James encouraging the believers. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it would, might not rain. And for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. And then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. I highlighted those words because if you're reading that, you might skip over that. But that is James recognizing that when his audience sees the name Elijah, they're going to be like, well, okay, great, Elijah, sure, but that's not me. Elijah was like Mount Rushmore of Hebrew faith heroes, right? This would be an audience that would have been maybe around when they saw what happened on the, you know, or heard the story of when Jesus was on the mountaintop and he, the transfiguration where the glory of God like was shining in radiance around Jesus. And then all of a sudden you read about this in Matthew 17, there was an appearance of Moses and Elijah, like so any, any Hebrew reader reading this would have been like, Elijah, sure, I would love to be able to pray like Elijah, but that's Elijah. Yeah. And James very, very clearly says, hey, remember, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He, I, he very strategically is putting it in there so that the audience can be reminded, Elijah is just a normal person, just like me and you, no different from me and you. The same audience would be here today. Elijah was no different from you and I. Just a person that would learn to hear the voice of God. So don't separate yourselves from the characters in the Bible when you read this and be like, well, that's just magical Elijah. That's just someone who learned how to hear the voice of God and had this relationship with God. He was a man just like us, just a regular person just like us. So how would you respond when you read these stories for your homework this week, 17, 18, and 19? Put yourself in the position of the characters in this story. Put yourself in the position of Elijah when the brook dries up and you have to go and, and over here and when you're praying for someone or when you have to confront the king or when you're standing up for God or when you're speaking life into somebody. How would you respond? And you don't just put yourself in Elijah's shoes. We love to read Bible stories and think, I'm going to put myself in the hero's role here because that's where I belong. What about if you were in King Ahab's shoes and someone comes and confronts you with the word of God and there's something in you that you know you need to release? Are you going to be stubborn and stick to it like Abraham did? Or are you going to humble yourself before the Lord? What about put yourself in the widow's position who has just a little bit left and here's God calling them to give it all away and trust that they're going to provide. We can learn so much when we stop thinking about these as mythical figures and start recognizing this is just a normal person. I could be in that same position and God could speak the same thing to me. Amen? It's all from a relationship with God.
So how do we do this? And we're going to close with this. How do we do this? And here's a, here's a total preacher cliffhanger. We're going to talk more about this next week, but I want to give you one practical thing. A couple things that we could do, and it would involve just like a, a quiet, you know, 15 minutes each morning. We could all find 15 minutes. But there's a few things I want to challenge you with. And I kind of wrote them down here. But before we get to those things, I want to just say, preface it with this. Before you do any of these things, I think we could find 15 minutes where we, uh, maybe in the morning before everything else gets going. And it's an important thing to find a quiet location. I just think there's something about the stillness that we're going to be able to learn to hear the voice of God. We are adverse to silence in our world, right? More and more, our culture is, I, I know more and more people that are just like, I can't even sleep without noise going on because I'm just so used to noise. We're just so used to that. And the idea of silence, you're just like, oh, I need something. I need a screen to stare at. And I'll just tell you, this right here for me and probably for you as well is probably the biggest hindrance from hearing the voice of God in your life, right? This right here. Unless God's going to you know, call you on it. But he... There is constant distraction, and we are, I am embarrassed by how quickly and just out of habit, I'm like trying to have a moment of prayer, and I'm like, oh, what's going on? Or some, something will ding or distract or notify or time to be real or something, and it's just like a total distraction factory right here. So before we do any of these other things, find a moment where you leave your phone and all the screens in another room and just be able to be still for a few minutes, allow some quiet, no distractions, and just begin by praying, God, I'm going to read your word, and I want you to speak to me, and I want to learn how to hear your voice, and I want to learn how to respond in obedience, and, and maybe you've never done that, and you might be like, God, I've never even tried this, but he wants to speak to you, so just in, in the quiet stillness of the moment, just say, God, would you speak to me, and then read a passage of scripture. Read 1 Kings 17, 18, or 19. Read the book of James that we referred to. Find a passage. I would recommend something in the New Testament. Um, if you start out with Leviticus, it might be a weird, God might be speaking weird things to you that day, right? Find something that makes sense to read. And that's why I said your homework this week could just be reading 1 Kings 17, 18, and 19. It's just the story of Elijah. And put yourself in the positions of the characters of that story. And read that passage of scripture and then write down the things that stood out to you and what it could mean for your life. So find a notebook. Maybe some of you have a journal, a prayer journal, a notebook or something, and write down what God might be speaking to you. Now, some of you might be thinking, oh, I don't journal. I'm a guy. Guys don't journal. Find a notebook and call it whatever you want. But find a book to write something down, what God might be speaking to you through this. And just write it down. And then pray. And if God is speaking something to you, respond. If he's saying, I need, if you feel like God is saying, I want you to go talk to this person, or I want you to go talk to your kids and apologize for the attitude you had, or talk to your spouse and talk about this, or I want you to talk to this coworker about this issue that's in their life that, like in that moment, imagine you going and talking to a coworker and saying, I believe that God spoke to me about you. And they're going to be like, how did you even know that? Like it's a spiritual thing, right? So in that moment where you feel like God might be speaking to you, write it down. And respond. And I encourage you to write it down because then you're going to be able to go back and you're going to be able to look and be like, wow, look at a year ago what I wrote down and God totally provided it. Look at what God did through that. And I just think if we did that every day this week, 
we might start to be able to hear the voice of God and just be like, wow, I feel like God is speaking to me just when I read the Bible. There's other ways that God's going to speak to you, but that's the number one way that God is going to speak to you through the reading of his word and just being open to responding to what he has for you. Amen? So that's your homework this week. I would love for you to do that. Um, but let's close in prayer this morning. And maybe let's just do this. Hold out your hands and just as a posture of receiving, like, Lord, I need this. I need this. I want you to speak to my life. I receive everything you have for me. And I just pray that you would begin to speak and that I would be able to recognize that it's you. Jesus taught that he is the good shepherd and that his sheep recognize his voice. Lord, we want to be your sheep, your followers, and we want to recognize when it's you and not just wisdom of the world or something that somebody else says, but when our King of Kings speaks to us, I pray that we would recognize it and respond, and then we would just never know what you're going to do through that, what miracles you're going to provide for that. So we want this relationship, and I pray that you would foster that in each of us as we listen for your voice in our life. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Thanks for being here.